Well, folks, welcome to one more edition of Politics and Rhetoric. Better to your host. Thank you so kind of being a part of the show. We're going to have a great show for you today. Excuse some of the issues. I've been making some changes to our internet infrastructure, and uh, I had a little bit of caveats that I still am not sure we all got the kinks worked out, but we're here. Live as usual, folks. Live as usual. How's everybody doing? I trust that everybody's doing just fine. Well, we are going to get busy here. We are going to get busy. How are how was your weekend? I trust your weekend was great. Let's make everybody's weekends great. But anyhow, 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 I am going to start right off with um, t- today's subject is kind of mismatch. What Bernie had to say about cinema, etc. But beforehand, I want to play an interchange that I did. Uh, with a caller to my show on Friday on oil. And uh, I, I think it's worth playing here at KPFT. Or not KPFT, I mean, at, <laughs> I have to remember which studio I'm in, right? Uh, here, and then we'll go ahead and take it on the other side. So let's do that because I have some other things I got to query on the internet. So I'm going to use this to help us out. Check this out. We have a new caller here. Let's go ahead and. Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Go to Ashley. Come on in, Ashley. How are you doing? Hi, Dilma. How are you? I am doing fine. Talk to me, please, Ashley. Are you a first-time caller to Politics and Right? I am, yeah. Well, and I'm w- actually a first-time listener as well. Well, it's wonderful hearing your voice, Ashley. Tell me what you want to talk about. I want to talk a little bit more about oil prices. Sure. Because it sounds like from what I, the limited amount that I heard mm-hmm. that there's a notion that... Uh, oil and gas companies control oil prices? Yes, ma'am. And so I wanted to understand and hear a little bit more of your perspective on that. Okay, let, let, let me explain. Let me, let, let's start from sort of the raw material kind of thing, okay? We have right now accessible oil. In other words, oil that we can reach at superbly oversupply of oil. Not only because of Saudi Arabia, uh, uh, Russia, and Iran, which are the largest reserves, but the largest reserve in the world is right south of us in Venezuela. And all of those are immediately exploitable oil. But we don't even need them because we have been producing oil at a quantity larger than needed by the entire world. Now, Uh, What the oil companies did, remember, during the pandemic, they had an issue with an oversupply that they had nowhere to store. So oil became was being sold at a negative value. What that means is that they were paying, the oil companies were paying people to to take the oil. In other words, normally you pay, let's say, $100 a barrel for oil. The the oil companies were giving people $10-$15. It wasn't that much. It was a few, much less than that. But they were paying storage people to take their oil and put it somewhere. 
That's how bad it got during the pandemic. All right. And then things normalized. And it went, went negative one day, right? Yes, it did go negative one day. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. So things then normalized, right? They, they adjusted input outputs, etc. But again, that was all adjustable and they did it. Now we are coming out of the pandemic. Still, we never had an oil shortage. There was always a lot of oil. But the way to, to get the gas prices up are twofold. One, you go ahead and say, we kind of reduce supply a little bit to, uh, to, to clean up refineries. So we, we, we go, went ahead and put some refineries down, uh, took them offline or whatever to kind of take some of the gas out of the market. Remember, they never took... No, wait a second. Go ahead, Hold sure, so sure. Have you, have you worked in a refinery? Yes, before? I have. Yes, I have. And not only oh, have I worked awesome. in it... So have I. Yeah, not only that, but I also have some, a few executives who are good friends and we have this conversation all of the times. All of oh, the time. wonderful. Yeah. So you understand that a lot of the, the decisions that are made around refinery capacity yes. are not intentional decisions to limit supply in the market and manipulate pricing. Let me stop you for a second right there, because at your level, what level are you at, I should ask first, in the, at the refinery? Uh, I don't work there currently. But I when you did work the there. Past. Yeah, when you did work there. What, yeah, I was what? an engineer, and I also was in charge of I, the coordination and economics. I love you. That, I'm an engineer uh, myself. I love you. I'm an engineer myself. So, I mean, let, let me tell you, it doesn't happen at your level. This is These are all aggregation between companies, etc. There was never once, uh, Ashley, never once was there a, a shortage of gasoline ever. In fact, what I told, what I tried to tell folks when I, in fact, I went on to Muslim TV to talk about this because just like you are hesitant to accept what I'm saying, right? These guys were like, there's no way what you sign make any sense, Egberto. No way. And then we went into the numbers, right? Not only the crude prices, uh, we went into how gasoline was priced and even now how diesel was priced. And by the end of the conversation, it was how the hell did they come up with a price of $5 when you could go to no gas station in the United States and not have gas. The laws of supply and demand, and we got this, and I minored in, not minored, but I, I did all my electives in economics. And, and, and the laws of economics in a truly unfettered capitalist system would have told you that if there are not shortages at any particular gasoline pump, that there is no rationale for prices to double. That's basic economics 101. And what happened, Ashley? What happened is, irrespective of real economics, these guys had what's known as pricing power. In other words, they had the right to charge as they pleased. But what happened is, as the curve went down, as the economic curve went down, what is happening to gasoline prices, as I stated on Muslim TV, had to happen because we started to get the glut, even as Saudi Arabia was taking two million barrels off the oil off the market this month. But you can say you can come in, my friend. Right. I think the one I think the one uh, uh, flaw, I mean, hesitation is that you refer to oil and gas companies in America as a collective group. And there are quite a few uh, very serious and robust laws against uh, antitrust. I agree. Thing that would very much prevent uh, 
the uh, kind of mass American uh, coup, if you will, to be able to, you know, everyone agree to uh, raise oil prices. Actually, so I agree with you. Explain, I agree with you. How do you explain, uh, you know, uh, Chevron not uh, reducing price? to make money to then incentivize an ExxonMobil station right next to it. To I love you for that question. And let me explain exactly what happened there. Um, in America, uh, since we've had McCutcheon pass at the Supreme Court and, and Citizens United, most of our politicians are bought. So there's nothing in as much, it, forget about Democrats and Republicans, because that real, at the neoliberal level, that does not exist. The oil companies own them both. The healthcare companies own them both. And what happens is the following. Uh, Biden goes out there and he puts out this, this tacit threat out there that if you guys don't do something about prices, we are going to, we are going to create a windfall, windfall profit tax. Knowing deep inside that couldn't possibly happen because they would never have gotten the votes to do it. And that's the reason why you can have collusion today. And it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen in such a manner that you can identify it. Right. In other words, you can't go ahead and say, well, the head of Chevron and the head of Exxon met together to do X, Y, Z. This thing happens with. That doesn't make any sense because then Mm -hmm, nothing is preventing the American down the street from going to where there's cheaper gas. No, no, no. So if you're going, Uh, you just answered going to get. You answered the question. You just answered the question. You just answered the question. Right. So, so they're going to go to get cheaper gas right. for gas. And so unless you're unless you're artificially inflating it and keeping it high, which that's not a decision that's going to get better down to every single gas station in America. Actually, then there's no way to explain why. Are, why gasoline prices would be artificially inflated. Ashley, you just answered the question yourself. And let me explain. You just answered it. At the producer level, the level that all the independent gas stations buy the products, right? That's where the, the in, it's inflated at that level. It's not inflated at the retail level. Remember, there are three. There are three different points in the gasoline. It's inflated on the producer level. It's not inflated at the retail level. And here's where, when, where I talk about the collusion that, that that we're talking about. You you said the magical thing about how an economy works and how supply and demand should work. In other words, if I if I re, if I go to gas station A and the price is too high, I would jump to gas station B because they're going to want to compete to get more of the gas. But if I make sure sure that supply is such a manner. I have pricing power and we, we actually control the, the way we deliver that on the producer level. Then we hold control, Ashley. Again, remember, this is not magic. There was always an oversupply of petroleum and I think I've proven that with, uh, with, the, with Saudi Arabia cutting two million without an effect with there being an oversupply. Sour oil in, 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 in Venezuela, yes, but they're still pumping and don't believe it's only 230,000 barrel because it's actually quite a bit more than that and Russia still delivering. There was always the supply. There was always a supply and that's why nobody in America not once, whether gas was $2.40 like 49 cents like I bought it today or at $4.50 like I bought it a few months ago, there was never ever once anybody that went to a gas station and not able to purchase gas. And I think Understood. you have yeah, to agree that. I just that. think you need yeah. to be careful to yes. not deceive listeners to start to understand that there are real 
I understand. The I just think like, that when we, when we other, anytime that we are othering and yes. demonizing any industry and any company in particular, mm-hmm. that goes part and parcel to demonizing the individuals that work there. I, and I, so I, I understand. And I will try to, and I, w- I will learn from you in this one. I will try to make that, ex- ex- whenever I'm pointing this out, I usually write this in my blogs, but I will point out exactly what you just said there, because that is correct. I, I am, I am completely against the, 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 the executives in these companies that play the games, not only with us, the American people, but you, the, the worker who are the actual innovators. And if you look at my writings, you'll see that that is exactly where I've always fallen. So I, 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 I take what you're saying exactly as you say, we should not otherize the people who are working in the oil industries, which many of them are, in fact, in my circles. Thank you. Um, and thank you very much for the explanation. I know you have to move on to other callers. Right. You have a wonderful day, my, my friend. We now, um, I, I see Eric Hayes is a, and, a, <laughs> and Lador talking about the, the, the being challenged by this young lady. I love being challenged. We had a very constructive conversation. Uh, you know, she's, uh, she's actually right that I shouldn't make it seem like the ones doing the damage are these employees who hard, work very hard. But what, all, what I said stands, and that is the oil companies are crooks. Uh, and I love what uh, Bruce says. Uh, Bruce says, capitalism is a joke, immoral. All industries are interested in profits only. Exactly. And I went ahead and put Rudnan stuff on. Uh, apparently, he, he wants to educate a few people about what has happened with uh, average tuition among national universities. So let's go ahead and get that on the screen. I want to welcome everybody in the house. Michael Rudnan is in the house. May Wood. Uh, uh, Bruce Pollard. Bridge MCP. May Wood. Lee Grant, Eric Hayes, E2247. Uh, I'm scrolling down. Daniel Lado, welcome aboard. Mike Cisak. Uh, who else do I have here that I haven't yet saluted? I'm going up the list, so I'll catch you as I go up if you're still here. Uh, if I miss you, throw me a line again. I think I saw... Uh, let's Paul Fleming Sr., welcome aboard. AVQ, Senor Rodden is here. And Rodnan brought us NPR. Elon Musk set to relaunch Twitter Blue with higher price for iPhones. I don't know if that's legal to do it that way, but we'll see. The company anticipates that the revamped service will cost $8 a month on web or $11 a month if purchased through an app on iPhones and iPads where in-app transactions are processed through Apple's App Store, which generally levies a 30% commission. Uh, the pricing announcement, I read that earlier today. Uh, Elon Musk is doing his damnness to make Twitter crash and burn, getting most of the users to switch platform, which while he's personally out some $50 billion in lost investment, and for what the metal big money corruption in the public square and stroke his ego was a waste. Yep. The Hill says judge declines request to hold Trump in contempt. That was reported on Friday. Uh, the Guardian Biden faces growing pressures to drop charges against Julian Assange. 
Biden faces a renewed push domestically international to drop charges against Assange, who is languishing in a UK jail. Unfortunately, I don't think Assange has enough credo right now, well, you know, gravitas right now that it's going to bother um, him, bother um, Biden. I, I honestly don't think so, but we'll see. And last one from Michael Rodney. Now for a bit of tangent, the right wing bubble thinks that Biden is a socialist. In this framing, what is socialism? Every government program that helps the people, Republicans are going in after socialism in this context. Yep, Republicans are going to lose big in the next election. Reminds me of something Bo of the Fifth Column recently said. The most important thing that leftists can do as far as civic engagement uh, can do as far as civic engagement with the electoral process right now is to constantly hammer Biden for not being a socialist enough. I know that's going to be real hard for y'all, like telling a bunch of sharks to swim. I, I think, look, um, I did a little piece on this. I don't remember when. I think we have to assume Americans are smarter. I think there are a lot of people that talk to Americans as if they're dumb. And I know why, right? Because they've been indoctrinated by the right. I think there is a way to get around it. And I just think, you know, I believe it or not, is using some of the techniques of the right. Uh, this episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. You know, the, the, the right repeats, 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 repeats. We ought to repeat, 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 repeat. But the good thing about our repetition is that we can actually put it in the context of every working class American and then add context to it by showing some truities. My thoughts. Okay, let's see what else. Breeze says, so we continue. Newly freed, the DOJ is now returning to what it, it was doing in August, investigating Trump's retention of government documents at Mar-a-Lago and considering whether to charge him after the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals put an end to the freeze. The U.S. District Court, Alan Cannon of the Southern District of Florida, place on the probe. The investigation is in some ways picking up where it left off. Thank you very much for that, Breeze. Uh, Eric says, question, how does goes a government executive who has two felonies remain employed? You mean Donald Trump? I don't know. Uh, Paul Fleming, welcome aboard. Uh, let's see what else we got here. The career of a felon doesn't come to an end after he comes out of prison. Besides private jobs, a felon can also become a government employee. There are, however, lots of restrictions and regulations enforced by the federal government. This is about hiring ex-felons and convicted. You know, if somebody paid your debt to society... And they're not violent or anything like that. I don't know why they shouldn't. Because there are a lot of people who are working right now who are the biggest thugs, thieves, and otherwise. But they remain working because they haven't been tagged a felon. Hell, oil price executives are more felons than somebody who gets caught for, clean, for robbing a candy bar. But they're still in office. They still have big salaries. They still have a job. But they're thieves. They're thieves. But nobody pays, right? Right on time, says Bruce. Yes, you are. Bruce Lee Grant says, keep speech alive. You better, you better believe I believe that one. Question, if student loans are forgiven, what happens to the price of education? Nothing. It is still high and has steadily risen fast. And it's high because, again, we are using a lot of capitalist notions within the, private, uh, within the public's education system. Get rid of it and you'll see what happens. You know, what can I say? All right. 
Go to free enterprise over capitalism. I, I, I choose free enterprise over capitalism any day. Mike Sisak said, Bridge MCP, my guess on this FBI Arlago deal will end up with FBI agents who spearheaded it, arrested and charged with abuse of power. You know what? I don't know where you get your information, CSAC, but everything that you've said thus far, from the time you started listening to our show, and you know I love you, man, but you've been wrong. You've been completely wrong. You said we were going to lose big. You lost. You said Biden was not going to be president. You lost. Every single time you lose. Don't you want to get on the winning side sometime, brother CSAC? Come on, man. Join the good folk. Come on. Join the good folk. All right. Price and power via college evil, right? Call it out as you should. Price and power for colleges? Yeah, you're right. What else is there to say? Colleges can charge whatever they want. We need, again, so you're you are with me. If you think that colleges shouldn't be able to do that, you're with me. Let's legislate it. All right. 28 minutes, no paywall. Emergency podcast system, the meaning of independent cinema. There you go. Uh, because Michael Moore is fascinating, you gotta give at least that. Yes, yes, I love, I love, um, I love these podcasts. Michael Moore is good. I listened to his last podcast. Emergency, emergency is how he started. Greetings, progressive, says Robert Davenport. Robert, how are you doing, my brother? Great seeing you here. Uh, let's see what else we got here. Daniel Ledoso, who wants to bet Egberto is silent on criminal government collusion with social media? And we all know why. Hmm. Because it's a lie. That's why. I'm, I don't communicate in lies. I'm sorry. Nor am I fooled. Ashley brought it and was correct, but our administration selling out reserves falsely lowering the price. So know, know your... Oh, boy. It's not falsely lowering the price. The prices are already low. Uh, we should... In fact... Well, I'm not going to go there because talking to you is like speaking to a wall. You have a, you have a problem. I don't know if it, it... Well, I won't say that. Lee Grant says, the PDR posse in its reach for truth can't ignore Twittergate. There's no Twittergate. Y'all would like it to be Twittergate. There's no Twittergate. Sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Uh, Bruce says, price gouging. Uh, British MCP says, trade schools are not a bad thing and also needed. I agree. As long as you are saying is fact and truth, it should not, it should be allowed. Agreed. Uh, Brice Egberto, is the image the person on the phone or a pic? That's a that's a generic picture that I do to give some context that it's somebody calling into the show on the phone. Uh, let's see what else we got here. Coming, scrolling down. Oh, you guys have a lot of messaging. Uh, Brice says, Michael Rodney, we need a free trade school just as we need free public colleges. I agree. But know, know that not everyone wants to be either a technician in the field not everyone will be an electrician or a mechanic or a welder or whatsoever. Our nation needs bright minds to reach potentials. Again, like I said on the program earlier today, equal access to success. BP Alpha, which is Bruce says, conspiring to price petroleum by that's literally called a cartel. Happens all the time. Yes, we are. We have cartels. Ronen says, Egberto, the thing about price and power is that the competitors look at what their competitors are charging and match them within a few percentage points so that people don't have the incentive to go shopping around. The price is a price everywhere local for what you need to know unless if you're willing to wait on shipping via online. Uh, Lee Grant says, I hear MBS grease the, skid, uh, grease the skids to get Griner out of Russia. Is this true? Not that I know of. Who knows? Why would he want to help Biden? I don't know. Okay, what else we got here? Eric K says, if government selling of off reserves at the cost of our country, 
keep 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 fooling yourself. Lee Grant, thank you so kindly. You know, at Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Lee Grant just gave a, a very good, solid, uh, solid uh, super chat. Thank you so kindly, Lee Grant, for supporting politics done right. You know, this is what I'm talking about. Supporting free speech. Uh, he doesn't necessarily agree with me, though. I though when we go for coffee, he will. When we go for coffee, he will. I guarantee that. I think I guarantee that. I should say because Lee may want to give me a hard time. He came to the show earlier today, and we were talking about Africa and some other stuff. Thank you for coming. For all of you that came to both shows, thank you so kindly. But once again, Lee, thank you so kindly for your super chat. Uh, it's trust me, it's needed, especially now at the end of the year where we are several, several thousand dollars behind in our fundraising. And that's because I'm a lousy fundraiser, of course. All right, let's see. Profit before people is what uh, Bruce says, and he's absolutely right. Uh, let's see. Eric Hayes says, replying to Eric Hayes, May would, no forgiveness, it would be freaking right off at the cost on the backs of hardworking taxpayers. You don't understand economics really, Eric. I'm sorry. You don't really understand economics, including the, the, the national debt and how it differs from pass from a credit card debt, etc. It's 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 the same reason why debt affects Africa and debt does not affect the United States. Um, you know, maybe we should have a class on debt. The difference between national debt and credit card debt. And maybe so that you don't have to just listen to me all of the times, I will bring somebody like Richard Wolf or some other economist to define that for you. And then we'll make a good uh, thing out of it. Okay? Carl Cox says, Chronic capitalism only works for mega-rich corporations. All companies, prime example. And that is true. Lee Grant says, Mohammed bin Salman. Yeah. MBH, MBS, MBS. No, I don't think he helped though. Bruce says, I think that Elon could lose 50 billions and write that off on his taxes. Justify him paying no taxes. Yeah, he can write that off over several years. So what it would be is he's going to make billions in profits. That loss, write it off. Uh, let's see what else comes here. Uh, transcript from Moore and Harper's docket. Will they prosecute Daniel Ellsberg as well if they try Julian? Ellsberg had the same intelligence report. I don't know. Uh, let's see what else we got here. John Smith says Biden announces $36 billion bailout for Teamster Union pension plan. Really? I hadn't seen that yet, but I'll look it up. Eric Hayes says, nope, that execs that steal luggage and in charge of nuclear waste. Not sure what that is all about, but I read it anyway. <laughs> Okay, this is from Ledo. Okay, we now have hard evidence of government collusion with at least one company and Egberto still tries to gaslight us. Whoa, that is a commitment to the cause. Just lie, keep lying. Bernadine would be proud. There is no collusion, sir. If you are talking about Biden and Twitter, 
the same thing that goes for the gander goes for the why is it what's good for the goose is good for the gander in other words don't send out unverifiable information and by the way if i'm not mistaken that was before the guy became president all right john smith says Twittergate is where FBI and Democrats work with Twitter and FB, FB Google to censor or ban Republicans. Wow. A Repu- an organization that has a Republican bias was banning stuff on Twitter from Republicans. That's, that's great. Bridge MCP, thank you so kindly for that, for that super chat. She says, yes, long live the PDR posse where free speech should be combined with truth and facts. Thank you, my beautiful Bridge. My beautiful Bridge. And, and thank you, Lee Grant, uh, for supporting this show. We could not possibly make it without you. Uh, Robert Davenport, uh, bull, she did understand that is why Egberto changed his thinking process that no, no, no. The difference was I wanted to make sure I was not demonizing employees. Just like I want to make sure I don't demonize Republicans who are indoctrinated by an evil plutocracy. That's why you are all here, my Republican brothers and sisters. You don't see me trying to demonize you. I love you guys. All of you. Left and right. And the reason why is I understand the trickery. I understand indoctrination. I understand the mechanics. And if I don't follow the stance that I'm following right now, they win. And I won't let them win. At all. Paul Fleming says, we need the, doc- the Fairness Doctrine back that was established in 1949 for journalism by the FCC. Reagan removed it when he became president. We need it back. I agree. And let's see. Michael Rodney says, so Twittergate seems to be the right-wing bubble losing their mind about Biden administration asking Twitter to remove images of Hunter Biden's penis from their platform. This is a non-story. I mean, again, let them, let them, you know, let them go run with that story and put all your energy into that story because it'll just continue to, again, Democrats will just continue to win. Well, they will continue to win anyway. So maybe fun should, folks should have something to have fun with. Look, the policies I support is going to support everybody in this room, in this chat, in this listening to us right now. Okay? Just remember that. Uh, Daniel Lowe said, gaslighting. Egberto is a master. No collusion. Is Egberto's will so great to withstand the ignorance to maintain or is Egberto an agent of darker forces? There can be only one. Oh, Ledo, I love you, brother. I, I genuinely do. You give me a lot of times comic relief. You really do. You really do. But no, Daniel, I'm just telling the truth here. That's all. That's all. Bridge says, Fairness Doctrine won't apply to the internet, but I agree. John Smith says, Paul Fleming, Sr., the problem with the Fairness Doctrine is that it violated the First Amendment. Really? Calling fire in a, in a crowded theater is not the First Amendment. Anyway, let's go and play... This piece from Ali Velchi, I want to play this one first, and then we'll take it on the other side. As usual, Ali Velchi did an excellent job bringing into the full subjects that most of the mainstream media refused to handle in detail as he did here. Of course, we were talking about inflation and whether the corporations are trying to gouge Americans. Ali Velchi didn't come out as hard on corporations as I would hope. I want you to listen to this piece and then let's take it on the other side because I have a lot to say about 
sort of the coddling that we give those who decided to take over our economic system. We have to rest assured a, a, a particular fact. This economic system does not belong to the few. It belongs to us all. We are the ones who make it function. Check this out and then we'll take it on the other side. According to Moody's Analytics, a typical U.S. household has spent about $445 more each month in 2022 because of inflation compared to last year. Now, on the show, we routinely delve into the various factors that drive inflation, the rise in the cost of raw materials and labor, the cost of energy to make things and the cost of transport to ship them, supply chain issues, even the war in Ukraine. But there's another factor that's often overlooked, corporate profits. When inflation is high, companies may raise their prices to pass the increased prices that they pay to consumers without cutting into their own profits. And that's understandable. But sometimes without us fully registering that they're doing it, companies take advantage of high inflation by using it as a cover to mark up products even higher than what would be necessary to recoup the higher costs. For example, during an investor call, the CEO of Kroger said, quote, we view a little bit of inflation as always good in our business. Look at AutoZone. It saw earnings jump 13% in the fourth quarter. And during an investor call earlier this year, its CFO referred to inflation as, quote, a little bit of our friend in terms of what we see in terms of retail pricing. Procter & Gamble it raised prices by 9% in its latest quarter. Why? Because it can. According to the CEO of Groundwork Collaborative, a group that tracks corporate earnings, people P&G admitted its strategy of keeping prices high to boost profits on an investor call. In fact, corporate profits in the non-financial sector hit record highs this year. Following a two-quarter dip in 2020, quarterly profits have surged over 80% ever since. Not to mention the sheer number of high-profile mergers and acquisitions that we've seen in the past decades. In many sectors, consolidation of that magnitude means that companies have become so big that they no longer have to compete with one another, so they're there's no incentive to keep prices low. During a September hearing, Representative Raja Krishnamurthy, who serves as chair of the Economic and Consumer Policy Subcommittee, addressed inflation, saying in part, there are other factors that contribute to inflation that have not received enough attention. One of those factors is extreme price hikes. In other words, companies raising prices far more than required to offset higher costs, even when accounting for shifts in supply and demand, resulting in the highest profit margins we have ever seen in the last 70 years. A rarely discussed factor that could, in fact, be a driver of the inflation that we're seeing today, or at least a part of it. Corporations charging more money for their products or services simply to increase their profits and bottom line under the cover of inflation. For more on this, I'm joined by Sheila Kolhatkar. If you're running a company right now, there are a lot of good excuses to raise prices. As you mentioned, costs of all sorts of materials have increased due to disruptions in the supply chain. We have a war going on in Ukraine. We're, we're still dealing with the effects of a pandemic. And then, of course, something happened that we've been waiting for for years, which is wages for average workers finally started to go up. So households have more money to spend. So the question then becomes, you know, why do they have to raise prices quite so much as they are? If they're really making 8% more money than they did last year, then obviously they've covered their own costs that have increased due to their own inflationary pressures. Then you have to look at the fact that, well... We live in a capitalist society and most corporations think that their only duty is to maximize returns for their shareholders. Corporations especially don't have a ton of credibility in the market right now. I mean, people have come to not trust them. And as you mentioned earlier, in fact, there have been so many huge 
mergers in so many areas that even before this inflation spike, a lot of companies were aggressively raising prices because they have almost monopolistic dominance in their particular market. I mean, for example, if you have been paying for internet service in your home for the last 10 years, uh, you have watched the prices just go up like crazy to the point where it's almost unaffordable for a lot of people. There are things that the government could do to try and address some of this, including trying to address some of the monopoly problems. But ultimately, uh, there isn't a whole lot that can be done to force these companies to stop behaving this way. Capitalists will do what capitalists will do. Listen to how I ended that piece that uh, where I cut that piece from what the, the woman had to say. She said, capitalists will always do what capitalists do. Right. That is absolutely true. And they will continue to do that until we, the actual owners of this economic system, the actual owners of our government, stop them from doing what they do. Because they will continue to do what they do if there's no backstop. They depend on us all for their success. They, they market our innovation. They market our work. They market our worth. Remember, Executives do not innovate. I mean, one of the big factors that folks talk about leaving everything in the free market is under the pretext that if we take certain parts out of the market system, parts that really do not belong in the market system, that somehow innovation would fail. In other words, we wouldn't get as much innovation. The one fact that we forget to put out there is that the executives who command all the pay, the shareholders who command all the profits, they are not the ones innovating. The ones that are innovating are the ones at the bottom of the scale who get a fixed amount of money for said innovation. The person who invent the microchip, the person who invents all the pieces in your cell phones, the person who invents new foods, the person who invents the, 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 the healthcare procedures, the person who invents all these pieces within our economy. Most of them are working for a salary, a fixed cost. And then their innovation thereafter is marketed. Their innovation thereafter is profited on by executives, shareholders as they gouge us for that. In other words, they pay the innovator X amount of dollars. They force the rest of the American people to pay whatever inflated costs for said innovation that they've already paid for and they laugh themselves to the bank. That is the system. Don't allow anybody to make it less evil than it really is. And if we continue, if we continue to follow the path, we already have the answers of what that path leads to. It leads to income inequality, wealth disparity, and you name it. They continue to take a bigger slice of the pie because they can. And why can they? Because we let them. If an economic system does not work for all of us, if an economic system only works for a few of us, that economic system is a fraud. I will contend that the current state of our economic system indeed makes it 
a fraud. And how do we stop that? We make sure to elect those who would prevent them from taking us as bait. We exactly, we stopped being used as baits, right? Love that one. All right, uh, we have uh, another one that I want to get out. Let's see what time is it. I better put this one out, and then I'll then then I'll come back to the to the chats. Okay, let's go ahead and put this one out. By now, everybody knows that uh, Brittany uh, Griner was released from Russia after they negotiated for the return of, uh, I guess, a, 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 a pseudo-terrorist back to uh, Russia. Now, what I said then is because Paul Phelan uh, was not released, Paul Whelan was not released, it is clear to me that Fox News, the, uh, the former president and the right-wing machine was going to try to spin it in such a manner to not only disparage the president, but to create dissension among people. Oh, they went and released the, they, they fought for the gay girl. They fought for the African-American uh, woman, but they left good Paul Whelan there. The good guy was left in uh, Russia, which we know was not the case. We know that Russia is playing games. And so the president decided that he was going to send a disparaging message about the president and the administration and how the release was made. I want you to hear this little piece that Olivelle, she did because he put the entire item in context. Let's listen to this and then take it on the other side. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken explains, quote, the choice was one or none. This is the second time Mr. Whelan's been passed over in a Russian-U.S. prisoner swap. Earlier in the year, the Biden administration exchanged the American Trevor Reed, also a former Marine, for a Russian pilot. The Russians say Paul Whelan is a spy, and that could be why Russia is playing hardball. Given the nature of the espionage charges, even if they are bogus, the Russians see Whelan as a more valuable asset than Griner. They see him as a pawn, a bargaining chip, not as a human being. President Biden promises to keep negotiating for Whelan's release. Whelan was first arrested in December of 2018. It's never really a good time for an American to be detained in Russia. But in 2018, the Trump administration had a complicated and unpredictable relationship with the Kremlin. The former president appeared particularly chummy with Putin, a man who helped him get elected. It was this president of the United States who publicly sided with Vladimir Putin over U.S. intelligence agencies. Now, throughout his captivity, Paul Whelan and his family begged President Trump to do something, anything. During a 2019 court appearance in Moscow, he pleaded to Trump to, quote, tweet your intentions. President Trump stayed silent, believe it or not. He ignored Paul Whelan and his case in 2018, in 2019, and in 2020 when he was still in office. A review of public databases of Mr. Trump's tweets and public remarks by The Independent revealed that Trump did not utter Paul Whelan's name a single time while he was held captive under his watch. And this week, right on cue, Donald Trump uh, chimed in. He wrote on his social media platform, Truth Social, why wasn't former Marine Paul Whelan included in this totally one-sided transaction? He would have been let out for the asking. What a stupid and unpatriotic embarrassment for the USA. Paul Whelan's brother reacted uh, on Twitter saying, former President Trump appears to have mentioned my brother Paul Whelan's wrongful detention more in the last 24 hours than he did in the two years of his presidency 
in which Paul was held hostage by Russia. I don't suggest he cares now any, any more than he did then. Today, two Americans are free. And today, the world knows Paul Whelan's name. So as you see, uh, Putin was supposed to be the right wing's great friend. Putin was supposed to be Donald Trump's savior. Putin was supposed to be that guy that, you know, the right has a goody, touchy feeling with. Yet, when Whelan was arrested, Mr. Putin didn't tell Donald Trump, ah, since I love you so much, why don't I give you back your guy? In fact, as they mentioned, he never uttered the name of Paul Whelan once. So Paul Whelan's brother did the right thing and he hit the president back. Now, what we have to do is make sure that Paul's message gets into their echo chamber, however fast you can. Absolutamente so. And given that we're again constrained on time, let me go ahead and play the last one, Bernie and Cinema. Bernie Sanders did not hold back on Kirsten Cinema, which he shouldn't. Uh, I mean, Kirsten Cinema turns out to be completely different than how she campaigned uh, when she ran for uh, Senate. And remember, we have videos of her showing that she wanted the filibuster herself gone. Of course, now that she's being paid by the corporatocracy, all of that is forgotten. Well, I don't think that Bernie Sanders is going to allow her to do that. First of all, in an interview between her and Jake Tapper, she had quite a bit to say about wanting some sort of camaraderie. The left and the right, uh, they're pulling apart and the whole works. That's not the reality, but let's go ahead and listen to this this clip and then we'll take it on the other side. Senate Democrats kicked off their week with a big victory when Senator Raphael Warnock won his reelection in Georgia. But the week ended with a new wrinkle when Senator Kirsten Sinema announced that she's leaving the Democratic Party to become an independent. Take a listen to the senator explaining more about her decision in a brand new clip from her interview with my co-host, Jake Tapper. When you look at your voting record and the issues that are important to you, as spelled out on your website, most of them are traditional Democratic issues, capital capital D, uh, expanding health care access, uh, abortion rights, LGBTQ rights, um, path for dreamers, and on and on, uh, environmentalism, uh, green energy. That sounds like a Democrat to me, no? Well, I know this is really hard for lots of folks, especially in D.C., but what's important to me is to not be to not be tethered by the partisanship that dominates politics today. And I think Americans are tired of it. I think Arizonans are tired of it. What I'm interested in is working on all those issues that you just mentioned that I care deeply about and that I believe my constituents care deeply about. But I want to work on them in a way that is productive, that is free from the trappings of the pull of the political system. You know, the national political parties have pulled our politics farther to the edges than I've ever seen. I want to remove some of that kind of that poison from our politics. The independent Senator Bernie Sanders of Vermont. Senator, uh, first, you are an independent. She is now the third official independent of the U.S. Senate, uh, joining you and Angus King of Maine. What do you think of her decision and also what you just heard in her interview with Jake? 
I don't want to spend a whole lot of time uh, on Senator Sinema. She has her reasons. Uh, Donna, I happen to suspect that it's probably a lot to do uh, with politics back in Arizona. I think uh, the Democrats there are not all that enthusiastic about somebody who helps sabotage some of the most important legislation that protects the interests uh, of working families and voting rights and, and so forth. So I think it really has to do with her uh, political aspirations uh, for the future in Arizona. But for us, I think nothing much has changed in terms of the functioning of the U.S. Senate. The good news is that we now have uh, 51 votes. We'll have a majority on committees. It means that we can go forward and start protecting the interests of working families and deal with the reality that we are increasingly living in an oligarchy uh, where the billionaire class and large corporations uh, control almost every aspect of our country. So I would hope very much that with this new majority, Democrats will sit down and start fighting for the needs of ordinary Americans. So I want to talk about some of those issues in a second. But first, you, know, you were a very important figure on the campaign trail for progressives ahead of the midterms, as you normally are. I'm sure you're going to be campaigning for candidates in 2024. The outgoing Arizona Democratic Party official, uh, one of them says that he expects Democrats will run their own candidate against her. Is that a good idea? Would you support a Democratic opponent? Against Senator Sinema? I, I don't. I support progressive candidates all over this country, people who have the guts to take on powerful special interests. I don't know what's going to be happening in Arizona. We'll see who they nominate, but certainly that's something I will take a hard look at. Does she have the guts to take on powerful special interests? No, she doesn't. She is a corporate Democrat. Uh, who has, in fact, along with Senator Manchin, sabotaged enormously important legislation. That false unity that uh, Kristen Cinema is working on is a false premise. Here's the reality. The policies that she voted against were policies that would have helped her constituents. The policies that she voted against are classic, humane policies like, again, healthcare for uh, healthcare for the American kids, uh, for, not the American kids, for the American people, uh, uh, family leave, all these issues, increasing in the wage, uh, wage increase, etc. All these things, as Jake Taffer said, are classic Democratic things that she normally would vote for, but there are critical things that she didn't, as Bernie Sanders said. She put a sabotage on Build Back Better, the second part of Build Back Better, which would have done so much for the environment, not as much as it should, but good enough, good start, so much for the personal economies of many of her own constituents that she just went ahead and said, no deal, we're not going to deal on that. And she thinks by becoming an independent, that's going to give her the wherewithal to somehow win over votes of the uh, of, of Republicans in her states and independents. I'm going to tell you something. Uh, the narrative that's going out there by the intelligentsia in, in uh, D.C. and other places is that somehow the working class is no longer democratic, which uh, what they mean is the white working class is no longer democratic, which is true. They are uh, they are a lot of times fighting on ideological grounds, on nativist grounds, etc. That is also true. But the the, the answer to that is not to uh, further alienate them. The answer to that is to figure out why. And I think a lot of us have already discovered why. And that is these people are uh, these people are, f are scared of their 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 shadows. They 
they have been meant to feel by those who are trapping them that somehow the ascent of others, the others getting out of poverty, others actually getting equal access to success will be at their detriment. It is for us then now to counteract that narrative so that we bring these folks exactly where they belong, back into the progressive fold. But if you want to be a lazy activist, if you want to be a lazy analyst, you just go for the fruit that's already on the ground, which doesn't grow your base, which doesn't grow things. What we have to do is just that. We, it, it, now it's not the time for less engagement. Now it's not the time to run to some mythical center. Now it's the time for us to engage all of us in the same socioeconomic conditions that in which the right is trying to blow apart, separate folks, and they won't know what's best. And by the way, when I say the right, I'm also talking about neoliberals, okay? I'm also talking about neoliberals who are complicit in what's happening today. But you know what? We've got the answer. And that is engagement, engagement, engagement. Absolutely. So engagement, engagement, engagement. Guys, we're coming up to the end of the show. I want to ask you guys to please support the show. You can support the show by going to politicsunright.com slash PayPal, politicsunright.com slash PayPal. Please support us the best that you can. We cannot do this without you. It's the end of the year and we are several thousand dollars behind in what we have to get done. So I ask you so kindly, whatever you are able to support us with, and also consider becoming a patron. Our patrons are a bit down. Please go ahead and support us at politicsunright.com slash patron. Welcome aboard. Uh, Clifford Leach, welcome aboard. Carl Cox and John Smith, uh, welcome aboard. I hope you find a home here. You don't have to agree. You don't have to disagree. We are a an open house for every ideology. Everybody gets my respect. Um, I see we got some healthy conversations. Uh, I, I, I stand with Bridge MCP that says, people read more than just your stuff. Try to, try to get into the frame of mind that you, you're going to teach yourself. Don't think you have to abide by peer pressure. Don't think you have to abide by your, your, your birth ideology or anything like that. Please, please, please join us all. Egberto, look at the comment section, Healthy Conversations. Engagement is a failing proposition for those who don't give a damn about facts. P.S. I like the fact checkers at a time and they are almost never read. Let me tell you something, uh, Rudnin. I wish you had as much patience as I did, but you don't have to. You are not, when you fact check and you put it in the feed here, you're not just doing it for those who decide they are fine with being uh, indoctrinated. You're doing for all the others that are going to read this co these comments. You are doing a very important service, Mr. Rudnin. Please continue and don't think what you're doing is in vain. And to all of you, don't think what you're doing is in vain. All right. Sometime we'll get there. Uh, sometime you'll get there. Let's see what else we got. Laugh, Mugi. No, I. <laughs> Egberto, yet I really don't have the patience for those conservatives. And that's fine. That's fine. I do. I do. And I do for us all. All right. Folks, I got to get out of here. My name is Egberto Willis. This is Politics Done Right. And you guys know how I end this baby. I am what? Out. 
we spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to, trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel, and number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join.